In the heart of Texas, from the halls of a suburban high school in Austin, emerged a visionary who recognized the profound potential of marrying technology with education. This techno-librarian has tirelessly championed the cause of intellectual freedom, understanding the pivotal role that libraries play in shaping curious minds. Beyond her duties as a librarian, she's a consultant, an acclaimed author, and an influential presenter, keen on sharing her transformative ideas beyond conventional barriers. Her voice has been amplified through renowned platforms such as People Magazine, The Guardian, and Slate, to name a few. Recognized with honors like the American Association of School Librarian Intellectual Freedom Award, the ALA Intellectual Freedom Award, and being designated a White House Champion of Change, she embodies dedication and innovation. With passion for redesign of the 21st century schools, she's at the forefront of educational reform, tirelessly advocating for the resources and freedom students need to thrive. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming a star wall of library advocacy and a true educator at heart, Carolyn Foote. That's the best introduction I've ever had. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Carolyn. To start off on a nostalgic note, could you share with us your favorite childhood book and perhaps how it influenced your librarian journey? Um, probably my favorite book was Little Women. And I think how it probably influenced my career was that the character of Joe was a writer and kind of rebellious and not necessarily girly and forged her own path and was outspoken and i felt like i really identified with her even growing up and so i think in in a large way i never really thought about it before but her character really influenced me i wanted to be a writer when i was young and so and then the book also it has a lot of moral lessons, and actually, I found out later Louisa May Alcott didn't really like having to write that way, but it was just what was demanded at the times. But a lot of the little moral lessons in the book are things that I just never forgot and sort of lived my life around as well. So it had a it had a big influence on me. As a techno librarian, you witnessed at firsthand the evolution of library in the digital era. How do you envision the next wave of technological integration in libraries? And what role do you see librarians playing in this shaping future? Um, we're at a really interesting juncture after the pandemic because, you know, a lot of people had been advocating for one-to-one -one technologies in schools or broadband access and um, the power of digital learning but unfortunately because of just the rush with which the implementation had to happen a lot of the best ideas and best practices about how to do that fell to the wayside and most schools just ended up doing you know four hours of zoom and so it really there's so much more that the technology could do but i worry that that kind of soured people on digital digital classrooms. Um, however, it's also an exciting and, and perplexing time with AI, um, which has been on the scene for a while, but like ChatGPT and things really coming on the scene 
that I think are going to change how people do search. And that's definitely going to have an impact on the work that librarians do. I think all of that means we really need to focus more on digital literacy and media literacy. And by digital literacy, I don't mean, you know, we used to be teaching, like I used to teach how to do the PowerPoint because students just didn't know and teachers didn't know. But now it's more um, how do we discern misinformation and disinformation and, you know, how do we find good sources and um, because just the disinformation is proliferating right now. <clears throat> and I know your generation is really better at discerning it than older users of technology. Um, that's obvious. But, but there's still a lot of nuances that our students don't know when they're doing research. And so it's about educating them. Like a simple lesson from when I was working was um, foundations. When a student ran across a foundation that had like a, a paper on something, on a topic, um, not understanding that it was a foundation or what a foundation was or that foundations had different viewpoints. So there's a lot of little nuances when you're doing research that we can still help help students with. But I really feel like in the next five years, AI and how we adapt to it's going to be probably the, the biggest challenge. I notice a lot of kids at my school, they kind of just go to a random website and take evidence from there, but it might not be as credible like Wikipedia. Right. Right. And now there's so many, you know, the, the proponents of disinformation are getting more skillful and um, so that also just poses a lot of problems. You've been an instrumental figure in advocating for digital equity and modern librarianship. Can you share with us a bit about your initial experiences and what motivated you to take this path? I think I taught, I taught English before I was a librarian um, a while back. <laughs> and um, I think I've always been interested in like the intersection of technology, learning, and how it could give students more voice also in their own education. But in our country, we still, even, you know, the pandemic actually sped up like implementation of some equity measures because schools that didn't have one-to-one, -one, a lot of them had to get funding and, you know, uh, implement one-to-one -one as fast as they could. But still, um, there's a big equity gap across the country. And when you think now about remote work and, you know, that, that your generation will be entering into, that will be a normal job choice, you know, in previous generations that wasn't. Um, and so that digital equity is really, really important to students in places where they don't have good access through broadband or they don't have one-to-one um, -one laptops in their school or plenty of technology available to them. It creates a real divide, a learning divide. And of course, we see that across other countries, obviously. So I think... And just thinking about that every student deserves the right to a great learning experience and education's 
a real way out of poverty for families and in this in this time education can't not include technology use in a real way and while students are really proficient with their phone and maybe instagram and you know but but i'm talking about kind of richer and deeper technology use we see a lot of schools that have had their librarians cut and um there's some um, colleagues of mine one of them is at rutgers who are doing research on comparing students at the college level that had access to librarians teaching them about databases and research versus students who entered college without that and they're seeing real disparities that students aren't prepared so so that's why i think it's it's important digital equity is a term that's gained a lot of traction lately can you elaborate on what it means to you and why it's vital in today's educational landscape to me, digital equity means every student in America and really every student in the world deserves access to high-speed internet, a piece of technology they can use to access it, and similar opportunities no matter where they are, whether they're in a rural area or they're in a city um, or they're in another country, so that they're starting on a level playing field and that's what digital equity means to me across um, race across economic lines um, and across the wealth and lack of wealth across the country um, and i mentioned remote work i think that's right now as a driving factor that gives us a real world reason why it's needed not the reason that every student just deserves it, which I believe. But also I think about how education's happening at the college level now and so many remote classes and digital classes that students without that sort of background in school, that's a big hurdle for them just to understand how do you learn, how do you keep yourself on track when you're learning digitally um, and not just, you know, ignore your online classes and all of that. So I think um, that's one reason why it's it's so important. And I also think looking at adults today who don't understand misinformation, who didn't come up that way either using technology, we don't want this generations of, of students to be prone to misinformation because, you know, we have AI now, what's it going to look like 20 years from now? You know, we don't even, we don't even know and so we need to prepare people as best we can to ask good questions, to understand how to troubleshoot things and, and think for themselves. I think that's also important. Many believe that the age of Google and instant information libraries become obsolete. What's your take on this? Media literacy is a huge subject when you think about it. There's um, understanding journalism and reporting and how um, the media influences us, but also how the media is crafted and um, how information is vetted. There's literacy about using technology and how technology is used. And then, of course, there's the whole field of academia and, and books and how do you access ideas 
that are in printed books, even if they're digitized, you still have to understand things like how to use an index to find something in a research work or whatever. And, you know, I think we sometimes start from a place of thinking every student has all these skills or everyone's good at technology. Kids already have their phones, so they don't need it. But um, that's assuming that every student comes into school a reader with parents that read at home, with lots of technology and books around their homes, with people in their homes who are there to help them with their homework or whatever. And that's not true of a large number of Americans as students. And so, um, and I think, so, so all of that is pieces that librarians bring in. But the other thing we really bring in that I haven't even talked about is, is access to books because it's not just that you have a room full of books you have people that read books that know books that know what a certain student would like and how to connect them to that that book and um, what it means to them and when you work in a school library you know you're with students for five years in elementary or four years in high school so you see that student academically grow you know them in an academic way which the internet does not know them in that way. Um, and so you are able to have that human relationship where you you help them with both those skills, but also help build readers. Because, you know, if you can't read well, or if you can't read at all by the time you graduate from high school, and there are students in that situation or they can't graduate because they just, the task of high school just becomes too difficult for them. Um, you know, you need people that are advocates for you and that, that care about you. And the other thing about librarians is we're not focused on a certain curriculum. So we're able to bridge a lot of different curriculum. We're not teaching art and we're not teaching history. So we're not as focused on that one thing. We're focused on the skills that help kids learn across all sorts of subject areas. But also we can help people pursue their passions because we're not tied to one subject or another, which to me is a great opportunity that I always love. And for our viewers, Carolyn actually has an awesome blog with a ton of resources, and I'll put the link in the description. Thank you. Texas Freedom Fighters is a movement you spearheaded. It promotes reading and information access that the removal of books from school librarians puts professional staff like school librarians in a bind because they are bound by higher law namely the First Amendment. Was there a specific book that ignited your passion and led you to launch the Texas Freedom Fighters Initiative? Um, actually, what inspired me and my colleagues to launch it was in Texas, our um, governor and a state representative misrepresenting the, the kinds of books that we have in libraries. But why it was important to me was students, because we a state representative sent a list of 800 book titles to school districts around the state and asked them to see if they had any of these books or other books that might cause shame or guilt or disturb students in some way. And when we saw the list of books, it, it was titles that everyone reads and some titles we couldn't figure out why in the world they were on the list. And I just could think of students that had read some of those books and what it meant to them. 
And we thought it was really important for someone to speak up and dispel the misinformation and speak up for diverse books and schools and speak up for um, librarians and, and their work and our students and our teachers. So we launched a Twitter hashtag takeover of the um, Texas legislature has a hashtag they use. And so we secretly spread the word among authors, librarians, other people we knew and told them on November 4th of 2021 to start tweeting about why, what diverse book mattered to them and why. And we had a graphic we sent out with it and we coined, we planned ahead and coined a hashtag, hashtag capital F, capital R, E, A, D, O, M, freedom. And on that day, to our amazement, over 13,000 tweets went out and we trended six on Twitter. And it was just, we were like blown away. We just couldn't believe it. And that told us like people were really hungry for someone to speak up. And so we decided at that point, well, let's make a website. Let's make a, our own Twitter account. We didn't even have, you know, a Twitter account. And so, and put resources on our website that tell what librarians really do and what these books are really about. And, um, and then two years later, the censorship is still going strong. And um, we now have 18,000 followers between our social media accounts. And, you know, we've had the opportunity to speak in the media and try to to get the word out and to help support librarians and students and authors um and like i said we we just thought oh in a few months we'll like get this under control we had no idea that it would be this long lasting and all of us are doing it you know in our free time not our work time and so after hours and you know before work and i'm working from home now so so i'm able to be a more of a spokesperson but but it's all like a labor of love we're not being paid we're not a nonprofit. we're just a grassroots group you know fighting for intellectual freedom intellectual freedom means the right to think speak and access information without the restrictions or censorship the texas freedom fighters initiative is a testament to your dedication to intellectual freedom. Can you share a story from your work that stood out and made you feel like this cause is super important? I think one of the things that's mattered most to me is when we've been able to connect with students. And um, we haven't worked, we've worked with a few students around the country who are trying to raise awareness in their own school district. And that connection has meant a lot to me. I think I realized our impact. So we designed a t-shirt early on that says, I support freedom. And um, I think what hit me early on is when we went to the first library conference after all this started and we walked in and there were all these librarians with our shirt on. And we were like, we're like, it means something to them, what we're doing makes them feel empowered. Lots of organizations that fight censorship and support intellectual freedom for student readers. But because we're all practicing librarians, people 
in the field know who we are. And so they may be more likely to tell us privately, hey, this is happening in my school, or this is what happened to me. And so privately, we can get them help. We can send them to an organization that can help them. We can contact the media and say, this school district's having some problems. I don't know if you're aware. Maybe you ought to like look into it and try to set sunshine on what's happening because a whole lot of the censorship that's happening is behind closed doors, behind the doors of the school. And it's really hard for people, even in that school district, to know that it's happening. And librarians don't always feel able to speak up because there is a lot of, unfortunately, um, harassment going on and pressure they're facing. So I think to me, that's one of the most important things that we're able to do. What do you think are the biggest challenges when trying to keep the freedom to think and learn in schools today? And how can everyone, including teachers and students, help with this? One of the biggest challenges is the, the secrecy that it's happening behind, you know, internally within a school sometimes, like a superintendent or a principal might ask the librarian to remove things. Um, or there's emails behind the scenes. And so a real difficult thing is getting that out into the open so that people know it's even happening without endangering the librarian. Um, but I think another thing is that's so difficult is explaining why access to books is important to kids because a lot of people that are censoring books aren't even reading them. They haven't even read most of these young adult novels. They don't know what the genre is. They don't, you know, aren't necessarily readers. So the students can really help by explaining what it means to them to be able to read a certain book, to be able to have access to it, explain to um, people that they don't have a bookstore in their town or they don't have a library near them or they don't have a car so they can't drive to the library. I mean, places like you live, of course, there's public transportation, but that is certainly not true of a lot of uh, places in the country. And so um, because there's a lot of like misinformation, like, well, they can just order the book. Well, they can just go across the street to the public library. Well, there's towns that don't even have a public library or the public library is 10 miles away. And, you know, the person doesn't have a car and they don't have money to order every single book they want on Amazon. So there's lots of barriers, and I think the only one that can really dispel those those that misinformation are students because it's their experience. Um, but then I also think teachers and librarian teachers and students just speaking up for librarians as well and saying, "You're saying my librarian is all this, but that's not true. That's not who they are. This is how they've helped me." And teachers can do that too. And getting organized, um, organizing groups to to be there. Because it's it's really hard being a librarian standing up at a school board meeting right now. And people get scared of this climate because some places the school board meetings have gotten very ugly. Other places they're not. They're still respectful and so on. But so it does take a fair amount of courage and the more people group together you know, the easier it is to go um, speak up or even just writing a letter to the superintendent or school board 
personally. You know, you don't have to be in public to do that. But those are things that students can do. I saw a great thing coming out of some students from um, California. I think they're called the Golden State Warriors um, during the Books Week. So they tied caution tape on their backpacks and they spread the word to tie caution tape on backpacks. And that was like a great, like, innovative thing they came up with. So students are really creative. Also, if anyone wants to help, I'll put the link to the Texas Freedom Fighter website in the description. Thanks. Before we end this interview, I want to express my gratitude for you taking the time with us today. Is there anything specific you would like to share with us? I think it's, you know, it's a really difficult time in the country around First Amendment right now. And I think people forget that the First Amendment protects everyone, you know, on both sides of the equation. And that's why it's so important because it might not affect you now, but it may affect you, you know, in the future. But I think the other thing is people are so polarized that it's really important we find ways to talk about this to other people, like respect, respect that they have a point of view, but then try to break it down in a way so they understand things aren't as scary as they think, you know, that there's misinformation floating around and have those like one-on-one -on -one conversations. That's really important thing that all of us can do. And then making people aware of what's happening. Um, my colleague Becky always talks about circles of influence, like tell five people you know about it and why it matters. Because, and then ask those five people to tell five more people about it and why it matters. And that's a way to just, some a lot of people surprisingly are completely unaware any of this is happening. And so just, just raising awareness is a step one to someone making, taking action in the future. The best advice I have right now, we have to help with civil discourse. Uh, honestly, when I watch school board meetings, which I watch at dinner, oh, <laughs> like in the, um, the thing I see the most, though, is students seem to be the ones most able to come up to the podium and be civil and bring information and speak about things in an informed way. And I just encourage students to keep keep doing that because it's so powerful to me to, to see that. So, and I want to say thank you so much for highlighting our work and for your great questions today. Thank you so much. It means a lot. In our conversation today, we've dived deep into the importance of intellectual freedom and the evolving role of librarians in the digital age. Carolyn Foote stands as a beacon of dedication and advocacy in this realm. From her recognition as a White House champion of change to her unyielding stance against book bans, her impact is undeniable. Carolyn, thank you so much for sharing your valuable insights and your unwavering commitment to the world of education. Your efforts truly make a difference. Well, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing because you're, you're helping educate people about this moment and that's important i appreciate that see you